I do get the blessing and the privilege to wrap up this series that we've been in. We've been calling it the Seven Churches of Revelation. It's the final week. And basically, we've been going through these seven letters to these seven physical historical churches that Jesus, as Jesus' words through the writing of John. And last week, we were on the letter to the church of Philadelphia. Well, was all commendation and no condemnation to that church of Philadelphia. And this week, we're going to wrap up the series with the letter to Laodicea, which is all condemnation and no commendation. And to Brother Mark's point, it's fitting for the world we live in today. Because in the church age, Laodicea is a great image, a great picture of many so-called churches today. They have the name, but they're deceiving. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. And it's important for us, it applies for us today, to be aware of that. As brothers and sisters looking out for one another, for our kids, for our grandkids, the biblical worldview churches are declining. Churches that are pleasing to God are declining. So this message is so fitting for all of us and applies to all of us so well and so much this morning. I want to share a statistic with you that I came across that really hit well with this as I was sitting at my computer. I came across and it says, this is the number of Americans that identify as true Christians over the past years. Okay, And this was done within the past four years. The silent generation, 84% identified as true Christians. Baby boomers, 76%. Generation X, 67%. Millennials, 49%. You see the decline in true Christians, true, true children of God. Like God's Word really tells us will happen. Let's move to the church building. The number of Americans that say they faithfully attend a real church service. Silent generation was 50%. Baby boomers, 35%. Generation X, 32%. Millennials, 22%. The decline in the church building. So there you see the decline in the church, the decline in the church building, and then here's the decline in the church leaders, the pastors, the leaders of the church. This was by an American doctor, George Barna. He wrote a new nationwide survey among a representative sample of American Christian pastors shows that a large majority of those pastors do not possess a biblical worldview. In fact, just slightly more than a third, which that number blew me away, 37% have a biblical worldview. And the majority, 62%, possess a hybrid worldview known as syncretism. Syncretism is the mixing of ideas from two or more different religions to come up with a new religion, to make it fit, to water it down, to make it sit well with people and itch and tickle their ears. In another release, Barmer breaks it down according to denominations. A little over half of evangelical Protestant pastors, 51%, hold to a biblical worldview. Catholics have the lowest percentage of 6% holding to a biblical worldview. Now, that's not to rip on Catholics. That's to prove a point. It's all declining. Biblical worldview in churches is declining in the church people, the church buildings, and the church leaders, the pastors and the elders. That's important for us as brothers and sisters, and it's important for our children and grandchildren. So how fitting is this letter to Laodicea? Because 2 Timothy, God's Word tells us this will happen. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3-4. through For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So you see see the statistics. You see what God's Word says about it. 
And this is Laodicea in so many ways. See, the world has crept in. It's not a biblical worldview. It's not a, a church pleasing to Jesus Christ. It's a con- contaminated church, a lukewarm church that's distasteful to Jesus, as we will see. But it's important that as we read this, we don't get that mindset and that heart of, well, that's Laodicea. That's not me. I'm not like that. Our church isn't like that. I've grown beyond that. See, it's important we don't do that. Because I want everybody right now, so many of you have probably done this before, but it's a good reminder. I would like all of you to point at me right now. Point at me. When you're pointing at me, how many fingers are pointing back at you? At least three, right? Yeah, four. If some of you are kind of curving it, maybe all, yeah. I don't know how you do that, but yeah, at least three fingers, right? The point is, don't point the finger at Laodicea because we all have a little bit of Laodicea in us. Personally, we doubt. We're unfaithful at times. We're broken. We're sinners. The difference is we have a Savior, and His name is Jesus Christ. So we all have a little bit of Laodicea. We all struggle with sin. We all need that constant repentance in our life. So let's not point the finger. Let's learn from Scripture and see how God will grow us through it. Our focus Scripture is going to be Revelation 3, and it's going to be verses 14-22. through That is this letter. It's on page 1276, if you're using the Bible that's provided for you. Revelation 3, verses 14-22. through Page 1276. Our approach is going to be breaking it into four sections. If you grab the handout, you'll see them. If not, just stay tuned in and, and follow along. It's going to be four sections. It's going to be the Creator, the Condemnation, the Council, and the Conqueror. That's how we're going to tackle this this morning. And under each one of those, you'll see a fill-in. That's where we're going to observe the Scripture, interpret the Scripture, and apply the Scripture to our life and how we can walk out of here with God's Word encouraging us this morning. And a a letter that seems discouraging in many ways and a negative tone to it in so many ways. I mean, does condemnation ever have a positive twist to it? It's hard. But here it does. Because of Jesus' faithfulness, He allows an opportunity for the church to change the ways and repent and be a true church that's pleasing to God. So there is joy, there is encouragement, but there is discipline, there is accountability, and there's things that a true Christian needs to do. It's a heart matter. That's going to be our approach. We will observe, interpret, and apply it. So let's look at Laodicea, because as we look at these writings and the words that Jesus uses, Obviously, it's Jesus speaking. It's not by mistake. He knows exactly what He's doing. See, these words will make great sense to them. The exact words He uses will pop out at Laodicea. And they're going to pop out to us this morning as well. Because Laodicea, the name, the meaning of the name Laodicea, it means rule of the people. Judgment, justice of the people. And it's so fitting because in this letter, Jesus is going to give a ruling to the people. He's going to give a condemnation. He rules, and He's going to give a ruling. That's what the name means. Judgment, justice of the people. The founder in 260 B.C., Antiochus II, founded Laodicea. He named it after his wife, Laodice, who he later divorced. That's how the church was founded. Its location, and this is important. This has a lot to do with the words Jesus uses in this letter. It's about 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia, the church we did last week, and 40 miles east and inland of Ephesus. 
See, but that's not the real important part that you need to know for this, to understand these words. The important part is roughly six miles from the city of Hierapolis and real close to Colossae. Why is that important? Because Hierapolis was known for its hot water and its springs. And Colossae was known for its pure cold water. And Laodicea received water from both of them. And I don't know about you, but what happens to hot water when it sits for a while? It turns lukewarm, right? What happens to cold water when it sits for a while? It turns lukewarm, right? It had a lot to do with the location because Jesus is going to identify them as a lukewarm church. Distasteful. See, they would know all about that because when that water got to them, it was contaminated. It was distasteful. The other day we were at Roosters and my wife Donna took a drink of her water. It was so distasteful and her, her, her face was of disgust. The water was disgusting. She didn't want to drink more of it. That's Jesus with this church. It was distasteful. He wanted to spit it out and drink no more of it. He brings it to their attention. So knowing Laodicea, knowing the location, knowing the history and the context is very fitting because they were lukewarm. Another key part to understand as we go through this scripture is what they were known for in general in the city. See, they were known for their great banking industry. Wealthy. It was known as a retirement community where some would go to retire. Very, a great banking industry. It was known for its medical facility that had this great eye salve that would treat the eyes and cure the eyes so that they, people could see better. Any infectious disease, it would cure. And they were also known for their fine woolen industry with this rare black wool. That will all come into play with the words Jesus uses that they will get. Is this banking industry, this medical facility, this woolen industry that they're known for. Because, see, they had an issue. Their issue was they were rich. They felt they were rich. They had prospered, kind of like the prosperity gospel. Jesus loves me. I'm on my high horse because he's blessed me with all this stuff. I'm rich, wealthy. Hence the banking industry. They were self-sufficient. In 60 AD, the great earthquake, they took no help from the outside. They were content and self-sufficient. They repaired and restored the city on their own. They didn't want to let anybody in. They didn't need help from the outside. In so many ways, their church was like that. Because as we will see, they didn't have Jesus as the head of the church, the heart of the church. Jesus was on the outside of this church. Not the focus it should be in many ways. This is this church. This banking industry, rich, medical facility, eye salve, not seeing well. See, we're going to see in here that they don't see well. And this woolen industry is going to come into play so much with their nakedness. All this is going to come into play with what they're known for, how Jesus is applying this, because they're content. They're content in their own ability, that self-sufficiency I just spoke to. They're compromised, contaminated, and Jesus is on the outside in so many ways. They're deceiving themselves and deceiving others. That's scary business, brothers and sisters. See, when you're faking it and you're deceiving that's deceiving yourself and destroying yourself, but it's destroying others that are looking at what a Christian is like. What does a true Christian talk like, live like, walk like? It's set apart and different from this world. That lukewarm is a confusing state. That's when it's scary. So let me ask you, have you ever expected something to be something and it wasn't? Have you went to a place, and maybe it had the name, maybe it had the look, maybe it was supposed to be something, but it wasn't. It wasn't what you expected. You didn't leave with what you expected you were going to get. See, I get that. When Don and I go to outlet stores, they are pathetic. 
I can't stand shopping in an outlet store. The only good about outlet stores to me is walking around with a cup of coffee, spending good time with my wife and sipping on coffee. The store, it has the name outlet store. You know, you go down the freeway and the big sign, come shop here, all the good deals, the real deal, the bargains. That's what it sells, right? And you go in and it looks the part in some ways. It has the products, but it's a ripoff. Outlets don't have real deals. And every time we leave empty, after hours we leave empty with nothing to gain, emptiness, leaving the outlet stores. It doesn't provide us what we expect to receive in these stores. That's Laodicea. It has the name church. It looks the part in some ways, but it's a ripoff. It's false. It's deceiving. It's fake. And people are leaving this church empty, empty of Jesus Christ. How about this? Have you ever owned something and it was useless because it didn't have what it needed? Like getting that chair and it's missing a leg when you go to put it together. It's not going to stand, right? The chair's useless. Your remote, it's useless if it don't have a battery. You can hit the buttons all day long, but it don't have power. That's Laodicea. See, it don't have the main thing it needs. It don't have the power. It don't have Jesus as the head and heart of the church. So therefore, it's useless. It's lukewarm and distasteful. Another fine example, because this one hits home to me. I still remember this. My daughter, as precious as she is, my oldest daughter, Anastasia, she decided to bake me cookies once. She was real young. Maybe the first time she ever baked cookies. And I didn't have the heart. I choked them down. But those cookies, they looked like a cookie. They felt like a cookie. They resembled a cookie so much. But you know what? She forgot the main ingredient. Sugar. I think she might have used salt. That thing was disgusting, distasteful, and I wanted to vomit it out. This is Jesus with Laodicea. See, they looked like it. They could feel like it in many ways. But they were missing the main ingredient. They were missing Jesus Christ. And Jesus wanted to spew and vomit it out. That sets us up to read Revelation 3. That's Laodicea. What they're known for. What they're like. Let's read. Page 1276. Verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich and white garments, so that you may be clothed, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Our first area of approach on your handouts, the Creator. We're going to start there. The point under it, the faithfulness of Jesus is greater than the unfaithfulness of the church. 
the faithfulness of Jesus is greater than the unfaithfulness of the church. Where do we get this? We just read it. Look at the faithfulness of Jesus. Laodicea is an unfaithful church. We just, we just used it in the introduction. We just read it here. They think they have all this physical prosperity, yet they're in so much spiritual poverty. They're not a faithful church, yet Jesus gives them an opportunity. All throughout here, He counsels. He says, repent. He says, I love. He says, I discipline. He is faithful to an unfaithful church when He don't need to be. And He's the faithful and true witness. That's how He identifies Himself. Let's look at how Jesus identifies Himself in verse 14. The Creator. He says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness. Stop right there for a minute. Amen. Faithful and true witness. What does that mean? See, that word, amen, it means the certain one, the true one. It means let it be, so be it. Why do we end our prayers with amen? When we say amen when we're done praying, we're saying, God, all your promises, everything I prayed, all your plans for me, they are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He's the certain one. He's the true one. So God, let it be, so be it. That's exactly what he's saying. I love in Corinthians, I love 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. The amen. All the promises of God find their yes in Him. And 1 John 5.20, the true, the true one. He says, And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. Jesus says, I am the Amen. I am the faithful and true witness. That's who's writing these words. I mean, wow. That's who's writing these words to Laodicea. And that's who's writing these words to you and me. The final words to the church as we will see. Then He goes on to say, the beginning of God's creation. And that word for beginning right there in Greek is our He. And it means literally means source, origin. Fulfiller, accomplisher, creator. Jesus is the source. Jesus is the origin. All things were created through him. He's the fulfiller, the accomplisher. See, it made me think of John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The Word, the Creator. When I think of all of that, I think of this story. God just puts things in place in just such perfect times. As I was preparing this sermon, I came across this obituary and a couple articles on a man. Many of you in here may know him. uh, But it was just the timing of it and what this man was known for. Because as I thought Creator, and I thought Word, and I thought True Faith, Frank Borman, I don't know who knows that name in here, but Frank Borman died November 7th, just a, just a couple weeks ago. And he's most known for in 1968, and this may ring a bell to some of you, he was the commander of Apollo 8, where it orbited the moon. The Americans were the first to orbit the moon. It was during Christmas time that this happened. And he's known for three real big things that popped out of me, and it made me think of my obituary. And what will I known, be known for? And what will we be known for as a church? Because I know nothing about Frank Borman. But when I read this obituary about him, 
this is what I know about this man now. If I know nothing about him, this is what he left behind for me and for many of us. Here's what he was known for. One, the famous photograph, the image that Americans got to see in 1968 for the first time ever during Christmas of the earth rise. It was called earth rise. And it had the earth rising over the moon. It was the first time anybody's seen earth from that perspective and that distance. The earth rising. He's known for that and that photograph, that image. He's also known for during Christmas on that radio television broadcast that maybe some of you watched. Uttering the words, Genesis 1-1, as they orbited and seen all of this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He said where millions could hear the word at such the right time, the critical time. Those are the words that he uttered. And the other thing that he was known for is he had a passion and a zeal that he wanted the Americans to be the first to plant their flag on the moon and be the first to walk on the moon. And that happened. You know what that reminded me of? As as a Christian, as a church. He had that image of earth rising. We want to be an image that says Jesus has risen. He had the desire to spread God's word at a critical time when anything could have been said and he read God's word aloud where millions could hear it. And me as a church, that just motivates me. Could my obituary say that one day? That man professed Jesus has risen. That man professed the Word of God. Can that be you? what you're known for? For those that may not even know you that well, because they know that that's what you did. And planting that flag, it makes me just have the desire and the motivation and the spark to plant my faith, to plant our faith. And where the Americans said, we are here, we as Christians say, we are here. In this church where it's watered down, in this church where the world's crept in, that's not us. That's not me. That's not us as brothers and sisters. We as Christians are here. That's what it made me think of. Such a great thing. And how many of you have heard the right words at the right time? Like Frank on Christmas. He uttered the right words that all millions could hear at the right time, right? Christmas. What great timing for all of that. The right words at the right time. Well, these are the right words at the right time for Laodicea. And for you and me, every eyes that are looking at me right now, this is the right words for us at the right time. The end of the church age. And Laodicea reflects it real well. Of what we need to be aware for. That's point one. As we move on to point two, the condemnation. Jesus condemns a content, compromising, and contaminated church. Jesus condemns a content, compromising, and contaminated church. We're going to look at verses 15 through 17 as we go through this point. Starting in verse 15, he says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now that is strong words. That's a strong statement. This is serious business. Lukewarm is distasteful, displeasing, and Jesus don't want to swallow it. Jesus don't want to accept it. They must change. He's saying be one or be the other. See, for us today, what is hot water? Hot water is good for things, right? It heals on our earthly physical view. Hot water heals. And from a spiritual view, hot represents passion and zeal. A true, faithful Christian life on fire for Christ. That's hot. You're hot for Christ. Cold, in this world, it heals. It's refreshing. It's good for something. And spiritually, cold, you at least recognize your condition. 
that you're in need of a Savior. He's saying, be hot or be cold. Recognize your condition. Let us work with that. But don't deceive. Don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive others. Saying you're one thing and being another. Not being a true Christian with a saving faith. That's what he's saying here. It's so big. Such a warning to Laodicea. Be one or the other. Don't be halfway. What did we say lukewarm is? It's basically halfway between hot and halfway between cold, right? Let me ask you this morning, did Jesus halfway die for your sins? Did He halfway sacrifice? Does He halfway love you? No. So as a Christian, as a church, it's not acceptable for us to do half repentance and be a half Christian and half love Jesus and be half faithful. See, we need to be hot. We need to take our temperature and be hot Christians. It's unacceptably one or You must be one or the other. And I think of examples of this in Scripture. Think of the thief on the cross. He was cold. He recognized his condition and need for a Savior. Jesus worked with that. You look at John, who's writing this right now. He had an amazing relationship with Christ and followed Him and was faithful to Him in so many ways. He was hot. So you had the thief on the cross cold and you had... John being hot. But then he had Judas Iscariot, who he knew of Jesus Christ. He walked with Jesus Christ. But he was lukewarm. He was deceitful. He was deceiving himself and deceiving others. He was lukewarm. He wasn't the real deal. Jesus says, be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm. It's not acceptable. And then we move on to these three, these three big things, issues. Let's, let's draw those out. So there he's saying, you're neither one. You need to be one of them. Be hot, be cold. Don't be middle ground. Don't be indecisive, contaminated, corrupt, content with yourself. And then we pick up in verse 17. He says, for you say, I am rich. See, there's that physical prosperity. There's that banking industry. There's what they thought of themselves as they were. They have prospered. And I need nothing. Not realizing. See, they're, they're compromising. They're not even realizing. They're blind that they're wretched. They're really wretched. Jesus just tells it. How he said, he's the faithful true witness that reveals all. He's revealing it all to this church right now. He says, really, you're wretched. You're pitiable. You're poor. You have a banking industry and you think you're rich, you're poor. You have a medical facility and eye salve, you're blind. And you have a woolen industry and you think you're physically dressed, you're spiritually naked. That's what he says right there. For you say, I'm rich, I have prosper, I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus calls out their condition. You're content, you're compromising, and you're contaminated. The condemnation of this church that just isn't acceptable. The issue of being deceiving and unfaithful and fake. So you can't fake your faith. You can't deceive and trick Jesus. I think of my brother and I when we were younger. And we would get in fights in the front yard. I would win most of them, by the way. Now, <laughs> teasing. We would get in fights in the front yard. And we would just sometimes have a little bit of blood, some sweat, and we would just be slugging it out. But when Dad, when our father turned the corner and he was in distance, boy, we would be hugging, loving, <laughs> saying, I love you, brother. You're the best brother in the world. We would fake it with the best. He's smiling. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. He's shaking his head. We would fake it with the best. And that blood, that must have came from when I tripped and fell. He was helping me up. You know, those, were, those excuses came quick. But see, you couldn't deceive Dad. You couldn't receive our, deceive our Father. He knew. You couldn't trick Him. And He condemned us. 
He disciplined us. He held us accountable, but He also gave opportunity. He said what the right thing to do was. He gave us an opportunity to fix it. See, you can't trick, you can't deceive Jesus. I want to ask you this morning yourself, your own personal life, maybe those close to you. Where do you got a little bit of Laodicea in you? Where are you maybe faking it a little bit? If you'd be honest with yourself. Where are you unfaithful a little bit to Jesus? Where are you doubting? Is, can Jesus really do that in my life? That doubt, that world's creeping in. You're giving in to some sin and temptation. You're faking it a little bit. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is here. God is always here. God is always present and near. You can't fake. Don't even try. Just be real. Have the genuine faith and repent. And we're going to get into that in a moment as we get into our third point. By the way, how we open with praise God. I mean, how about that? It just makes me think right now, praise God. Praise God that even a church like this that can resemble our own lives in some ways. And we have a God, like that point one said, that is faithful in our unfaithfulness. How amazing is that? I think of how much I love my children. And then when I put it into perspective that God loves me more than I can love my children, who I would forgive and love and be there through thick and thin with, God loves me more than that. How we open with praise God, praise God. Amen? Let's move on. Our third point, the counsel. Jesus allows opportunity for the church to overcome. So I guess we went with F's in the first one, faithfulness and unfaithfulness. Now we have content, compromise, and contaminated. We'll use, this is ours apparently. Jesus allows opportunity for the church to overcome. And for this, we're going to be in verses 18 and 19. I'll pick up in 18. The counsel, that third area, and it starts right off with that. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Let's stop there for just a moment. Jesus says all your issues. Hey, you notice he has a fix here for each issue? Each one of them. Look at that. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. See, they think they're rich. Jesus says, you're not rich, but in me you may be. White garments, they're naked. They think they're clothed. He says, white garments so that you may clothe yourself. And the, and the anointment for their eyes. So they're not content. They're not self-sufficient. Another issue they had. He says, I will let you see. Though once I was blind, now I see, Scripture says. That was them. They, may as, they didn't even see good physically in many ways, let alone spiritually. Jesus says, I provide the true eyes of. I am the cure. He's going to give them an opportunity here to overcome. And in this quote, he's not saying purchase your salvation. He's not saying buy, come buy your salvation from me. No, this is the gospel of gold, the gold of the gospel. He's saying your salvation is free. It's a free gift. You believe in Jesus Christ. You believe in me. It's a free gift. It's in me. Come buy a genuine salvation from me. Don't fake anything. Don't be lukewarm. Be hot. See, when a blacksmith tests that gold, what happens? We talked through this before once. It's heated. It's hot. All the impurities melt away from it. They all go away. And all that's left is the most precious part. The part that's needed. Beautiful. Complete. That's us as Christians. 
See, the world, the hot, the persecution, the, the temptation, the trials, it's those impurities. It's just going to melt all that off of us. It's molding us and forming us and shaping us so that all that's left is that finished, beautiful product as children of God. That's what that heat, that's what that testing does. See, you have a hot fire that refines. It takes that heat, that trial, that testing, but that hot fire refines. And then you have a hot Christian. What's a hot Christian do? Repents. You have a hot fire, a hot Christian that repents. And then you have that hot Christian who knows the reality that there's a hell and that souls are going to it. And they want to do something about it. I love this from Charles Spurgeon. I have to read this. He's referring to a leader, a professor, a teacher. This is what he says to. This is what he says about it. He says, lukewarm, it turns people away from Jesus. And then he talks to this professor. He says, now lukewarm professor, what do worldlings, worldlings see in you? They see a man who says he is going to heaven, but is only traveling at a snail's pace. He professes to believe that there is a hell, yet he has tearless eyes and never seeks to snap souls from going down into the pit. They see before them one who has to deal with eternal realities, yet he is but half awake. One who professes to have passed through a transformation so mysterious and wonderful that there must be, if it is true, a vast change in the outward life as a result of it. Yet they see him as much like themselves as can be. He may be morally consistent in his general behavior, but they see no energy in his religious character. He goes on to see the, say the, the careless worldling is lulled to sleep by the lukewarm professor, who in this respect acts the part of the Christian to the sinner, playing sweet music in his ears and help even lure him to the rocks where he will be destroyed. This is a solemn matter, beloved. In this way, great damage is, is done to the cause of truth. And God's name and God's honor are compromised by inconsistent professors. I pray you either to give up your profession or to be true to it. If you really are God's people, then serve Him with all your might. But if Baal be your God, then serve Him. If the flesh be worth pleasing, then serve the flesh. But if God be Lord paramount, then cleave to Him. I love that from Spurgeon. He's saying, don't be lukewarm. He's saying what Jesus is saying to this church. Be hot. That hot fire is going to refine you. Be a hot Christian. Be on mission for Christ. I love that. He has something for all of them. The gold from Jesus. The garments, the white garments. Come, get my white garments. See, those white garments, they represent the righteousness of Christ, the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. He says, I have you covered. And I love that. That salve so that you blind, now you can see. He says, you, you see physically. Come, your eye salve, get it from me. You'll have an eternal view, eternal sight, eternal perspective, an eternal mission. You will truly see. For each of their issues, he has the cure. But if you look at verse 19 there, see, this is where it gets a little ugly, a little tricky for us, right? Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Wow. See the discipline part. He says he wants passion. He wants zeal. And he gives a hard true love that many don't like. See, I was just having this conversation not too long ago with somebody. And it's funny how we all want accountability. We all would say, yeah, I just wish I had more accountability. But then when somebody holds you accountable, ooh, claws can come out, right? It hurts. You don't like it. They tell you the truth you need to hear and it don't come easy. That discipline that has to happen to us sometimes, that's hard for us. 
But see, that's how much Jesus loves. He gives the hard truth, the hard, true love, what real love is. See, our world much today is come as you are. God accepts, God loves you just as you are, which is totally true, right? But they don't finish the truth that you leave different. You leave different because he will discipline, he will convict, he will stir your heart. You will despise sin and it will make you want to be a true Christian and change your life. He says, I love, I reprove, I discipline. So be zealous and repent. And that's going to lead us into that last point, that word repent right there. Our last point under the conquer, Jesus rewards true repentance. Jesus rewards true repentance. He desires us to repent. He says, let me in. Let me in, church. As we're going to see. He wants in. He wants to be the head, the heart of this church. Let's read verse 20. What happens when a true Christian truly repents? He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What happens when we truly repent? Jesus is in. We dine with Jesus. What a reward to know that as a true church, we're going to dine with Jesus. We're going to partake of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus conquered. We're going to conquer with Him. I want to read Revelation 19. You don't got to turn there. I'll read it for you. Revelation 19, 7-9. This is speaking to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself. Remember those garments, those pure garments that Jesus provides, the covering, the imputed righteousness of Christ? It says it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. That's how the bride of Christ dresses, with the righteousness of Christ, his garments. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, And he said to me, these are the true words of God, that faithful, true witness. Those are the words. How awesome, what a reward to partake of that supper, to have the garments of Christ. And then that true repentance, what else was it? Conquer. Because Jesus what? Conquered. Notice Jesus already did. Everything Jesus asked of you and everything that he asked of me, Did you ever notice that Jesus always led the way? He led by example. We conquer. When we truly repent and we truly have a saving faith, we are conquerors. We sit on the throne. He tells us that. Why? Because Jesus already conquered. He led the way. We sacrifice. Jesus had the ultimate sacrifice. We love Jesus' love shows us the example of love. Everything He asked us to do, He led the way. We have a faithful, loving Jesus. How amazing is that? And how amazing to this church of Laodicea who is so unfaithful, He is faithful. I love in Romans 8.37, Paul, I have to read this as we get ready to close. These are Paul's words in Romans he says in Romans 8, 36, 37, As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. 
We are regarded as sleep, as sheep to be slaughtered. He's saying this world, the persecution, the trials, the temptations, the toughness, everything going on is for Christians in this world. It's like we're being we're regarded as sheep and we're being slaughtered. But then he says, no, no. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See that last area, the conqueror, because Jesus conquered. We are tested by fire. Did you know that these are the last words to the church? This letter to Laodicea, as we conclude this series this morning, this is literally the last words to the church while it is on earth. When chapter 3 ends and chapter 4 begins in Revelation, the church is gone, it's snatched up. These literally are the last words to the church while it is on earth. How important is that? And what is, what is the last phrase to the church in the whole Bible, the last word to the church while it, is, while it is here? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. So what do we do? What do you and I do with this this morning? One, we hear. We hear, Lord of God, this morning. We zone out everything going on. We let it penetrate our hearts so that we can be a faithful church, a true repentance. Why? Look at everything Jesus has done. The creator, the faithful one, the condemner who brings it to our attention, who allows opportunity, who counsels, who initiates and knocks. He says, church, let me in. He's talking to the church right there. He's saying, let me in. You don't have me as the head of your church. You don't have me as the heart of your church. You're watering it down. You don't have the right view. Let me in. Let me be the head, the heart of your church. And that's also true for non-believers. The same thing. He initiates. He convicts you to where you can believe. You can say, come in in my heart, Jesus Christ. See, it's true for both. These words are to Laodicea here, but it's true for the unbeliever as well. The same holds true. That's what Jesus does. So faithful. Such a conqueror. Loves us so much. So what do we do? Like we opened this morning with those two words, praise God, we praise God. What do we do, church? We do what we're called to do. We truly repent. What do we do? What's the job of the church? We get equipped here so they can hear our lips there. We get equipped here so they can see our walk there. See, sometimes God will be in, bring an unbeliever in the church and they'll hear my lips, your lips. They'll hear God's Word. But it's also out there where we get equipped here to go there. We check our temperature. We show that we're hot. We show that Jesus paid it all. We owe it all. This letter to the church of Laodicea, let it penetrate our hearts. Let it identify where we need that repentance. But let it also let us give God so much praise. As we close in congregational prayer and we close in Him, let us praise God with all, everything we have because of what He's done for us. Let us close in prayer.